Right. Um, welcome. Excited to be with you guys. Excited for our time. How many of you uh, happened to see the news from last night where some University of Dayton students were protesting? There were a thousand of them. Anybody catch that in the news? Yeah. So you can look this up later after you leave. But yeah, there were a thousand students that kind of flooded out after the news of canceling classes uh, in person came about. Uh, police actually had to come out and uh, the rumor went around that they were firing tear gas. They weren't, it was um, some black pepper balls or something that they use, but they were having to literally uh, disperse this crowd. These students were so angry that classes now were not going to be held in person. Now you start to think about that and, and go, wait a second here. That doesn't sound right. Uh, in fact, in, in China, with everything that's happened around coronavirus, and let me just say as a side note here real quick, um, no doubt in this room, there's like a difference of opinion. People are, whoa, they're making too big a deal out of this. Hey, this is the end of the world. We should care more. <laughs> Right, we've got these two extremes and there's a lot of opinions in between. Uh, and our stance as leaders, we deal with complex issues and have to give simple direction. Um, and, and if you want a resource on this, we put something out uh, to the email that we send out. It's how a secure leader handles a crisis. And it's taken from Jack Welch. And step one is accept that it is worse than it appears. Like that's the best way to start any crisis. And until you've been going through any kind of complex crises in leadership, you just fully can't appreciate the wisdom of that. So I don't expect these University of Dayton students to appreciate that wisdom, but still, why are they so mad that this is changing, that they're going to go out into the streets and protest? Because like I was about to say, I heard in China where when they moved to teleschool, uh, all the kids were having to do their homework through this app and kids being smart as kids are, they all started rating the app as low as they could on the app store. And, and apps that got all one star ratings got kicked off this certain app store. So then they didn't have to do their homework. <laughs> you know, kids are smart like that. When we consult with companies and they're trying to figure out all these complex systems, I'm like, listen, leaders find loopholes. <laughs> Smart people find loopholes, and that's what these kids were doing. Well, what was going on with these University of Dayton students that they're, that they're so angry that this change is taking place? I think the best way I could illustrate it to you was the first summer that I had moved back home for about eight to 10 weeks after college, I had not been at home since I had gone to college, okay? So four years, I'm back at home now, before I went to my next phase of school for just about eight to 10 weeks. And I remember my mom had fixed this big dinner. I'm in the kitchen and I reach into the pot and grab a green bean. And this voice from behind that I would know as my father said, get your hand out of there. What are you doing? We're not eating dinner yet. And I had this weird familiar feeling return that I hadn't had for like four years. Someone is telling me what to do. I didn't like that feeling. I remember noting that feeling and going, you know what? Eight more weeks. <laughs> Eight more weeks, nine more weeks. There was something for me about being in college that 
allowed on exploration of different things. And so you look at this University of Dayton situation, listen, here's the thing. They're mad, and I'm not justifying what they did. I'm just trying to connect this to the journey we're going on today. They're mad because you're taking away their belonging, right? That's what it feels like. Like, oh, I love hanging out with my friends. Now I gotta go back home? I don't wanna go back home, right? And so what happens, and, and I, are they consciously sitting in the dorm room going, hey, let's go protest, let's go get on top of cars, let's go create some chaos because the university is taking away our existential need of belonging. <laughs> no, that's not happening. That conscious awareness, that's being skipped right over. That kind of processing doesn't happen. When I was in college, the worst we ever did something like that, there was a chapel and it played these uh, like old hymns, you know, every so often. And so word spread around that some of our friends had broken in and replaced the, it was a cassette tape, the tape that played the hymns with Woomp, there it is. And so randomly at like 11 p.m. on my college campus, we were all out in front of the chapel just waiting. Security pulls up, they're like, why are all these students? And then Woomp, there it is, starts playing through the, the chapel bell system. And it was, it was a fun little moment, a party moment. But, but the intensity of their reaction, it's because it's connected to the intensity of something they feel. And I can tell you, they're not even aware that it's there. And here's the idea that I want to journey through today. And this is going to build on everything that we've taken together as a journey up to this point, but it's also going to stand alone. We introduced this idea that you can look at your thoughts and feelings as a windshield that you don't have to be dominated by them, you don't have to deny them, and that as you're driving in this car, you can reach out and, and put an antenna up and start to notice these thoughts and feelings and what they speak to you about, about the things that you want to prove or hide. And we're going to give you another exercise today at the end, and it's all going to be connected to this idea about what it means for you to understand what's going on in your head that causes reactions, that causes feelings, that causes something to come out of you that you may be proud about, scared about, excited about, wonder about. There is a movie playing in your head and you do not see that movie. And my goal for just our little bit of time together today is to help you understand that movie. Now to do that, what we've got to do first, number one, we've got to unveil the composition. We've got to unveil the composition. It's the dialogue, it's the lines. If you look at what makes up a movie, the first real chunk of what you've got to understand is the dialogue or the lines. Well, what do I mean by the dialogue or the lines? The dialogue or the lines, that's where you're noticing the proving or hiding, the things that are coming out of your mouth. Is it truth or is it BS. <laughs> is it real or is it hollow? You and I both know when you're watching a lame movie and you're like, I, there's something about as you get older, you're like, I'm watching this movie. I'm not enjoying it. I'm old enough. I'm not going to finish this movie. <laughs> I'm just going to stop this movie. Well, one of the things that makes a movie bad is the writing is just off. It's terrible. It's canned. It's cheesy. That's why when you see any kind of film put out by any kind of group, where they're heavy-handed on an agenda, it doesn't have that sense that it draws you in because it just doesn't reflect real life, right? We're actually watching through parenthood right now, 
as a family. And uh, it's really, really fun to watch through that together because it surfaces so many things we talk about. And, but the lines, I mean, some of the lines they say in that series, it's like, yes, that is exactly what it feels like. That is a true expression. That is something that isn't BS, but it's coming out of who they are. And so you're in a dialogue with somebody and it gets a little bit heated and you calm down and you go, hey, you know what? I'm sorry, I got defensive. We started talking about coronavirus and we have different opinions around that. And, and it's not really about you, it's about I'm worried about what's gonna happen with the business here, right? It's not really about you, it's that I'm feeling vulnerable. It's not really about you, it's that I'm feeling a little stressed. Daniel and I had a meeting this past Friday and, and we were kicking off and he was like, where are you? What's going on? And I started to share some and he just articulated like, yeah, I feel some weight with that. And even as we just acknowledged that and talked through that, then we had to work on this project and then it was like the energy got unblocked. Well, if we would have been positioning, right? I've got to make you think something certain of me, like we talked about last month. I've got to try to take some validation from this moment. If I'm, if I'm proving or hiding, then we're not having that connection where we get to the real work. I know none of you have sat through a meeting where the composition needs to be unveiled because somebody was veiling what was really going on, not being honest, and everyone in the room saw it, and they still had to insist on going down in a ball of flames to stay, you know, committed to whatever they were defending. And you are not going to get insight. The whole thesis of this journey that we're taking, navigate, that you lead yourself first. You're not going to be able to lead yourself first until you notice the composition, notice the lines, notice the dialogue. Not only do you notice it externally, what you're saying to others, you also notice it internally. You know how easy it is to have dialogue internally? I was driving by a piece of property yesterday that I've had my eye on. So if you're familiar with a little bit of my story, we have built a couple of homes. We went through some severe loss and crisis and had to rebuild our lives. And so as we rebuilt our lives, and some of you know this story, I've told it in some of the books and stuff, uh, I've started to dream again. And I was driving by this piece of property and I've looked at it for probably six or nine months and it sat vacant and I was like, you know what, that's, that's going to be ours. The timing on that's going to work out. I was driving by, I think it was yesterday, somebody put a mailbox on it. And I'm like, oh man, somebody bought that property. Now here's what happens internally to unveil the composition. What's going to come out next helps you begin to hear your movie. Everyone has a movie in their head. They're not hearing it, they're not seeing it, and they're not feeling it. When you unveil the composition internally, you start to hear the movie. What comes after that shows you what your baseline is. My baseline at some points in my life would have been, look at that, I missed that. I'm not going hard enough. I need to push harder with my life and business and do better for my family and I need to perform more. Somebody else could have a different message in that moment. 
And we're going to explore those messages in just a moment. Maybe it's, oh, I never get big breaks. I always experience these dreams slipping through my fingers. I've got friends that have this happen for them, but I don't. I know none of you have ever opened up a social media feed and started scrolling through and looked at pictures of other people and gone, man, you know, I am so blessed. I'm so happy for them. I'm so glad for them. And this makes me freshly appreciative of all that is in my life, right? This internal dialogue starts to reveal that. And so I see this, I see this mailbox and I was happy to tell you that man, I've had to do so much work on myself. The first thought was, Something better will be there. Something better will be there. I really do believe that. Something better will be there. There's been a lot of time that I've spent unveiling the composition, paying attention externally, paying attention internally. Also having things involuntarily pointed out to me by my wife. That's helped a lot too. I'm going to acknowledge that. You've, you've all got someone that you're connected to that wants to help with that. But once you start to unveil the composition, here's the cool part. You start to understand the character. If you really want to watch and be able to pick apart what a great film is, you're unveiling the composition. What's the dialogue like? What's the external dialogue? What's the internal dialogue you can tell that they're having within themselves? Now, how do we understand the arc of the character? Where are they headed? What's happening here? Have you ever uh, been frustrated, irritated, or confused by someone's behavior and then heard some of their story and go, Oh, that's why. That's why. Oh, it increases our empathy. We hear something. It doesn't excuse their behavior. Okay? Healthy family systems, healthy companies, healthy teams. We need to have a standard of behavior. And if you violate that standard of behavior, we're not going to excuse it. But we can start to empathize as we explain it. We hear some of their story. We hear some of the arc of their character development. And we go, that's why. I wonder if you see your own story, because there's a movie playing in your head. I wonder if you could see your own story the way others can see it. When a light bulb clicks and you start to see your character development, you go, oh, that's why. And it's so hard for us to see for ourselves. Have you ever seen any of those videos online where the kid, the, the, like the baby that can't speak yet, gets glasses and then they see their mom for the first time? Oh my gosh, like tugs all the heartstrings. Or, or, or you see them get glasses and they can like see colors I saw um, a bride that bought some color corrective glasses for her soon to be husband. She gave them to him for their wedding day. And he was like, this is what you guys are seeing all the time. It was amazing. I had a roommate in college that was colorblind. And I remember one time, there were many stories like this. This is one. He was trying to match an outfit for a date. And he was like, hey, how's this green shirt look? He had a real raspy voice. Does this match? We're all like, oh yeah, dude, looks great. Totally blue shirt. <laughs> you just couldn't tell. But when somebody sees or, or hears, it's like, whoa, whoa. And, and if we can turn that inward and understand our own character arc, 
if we can understand our own character development, we will stop being our own worst enemy. There's a progression of maturity that most people have never gone through. And to really understand your character arc, you stop with this idea where you're like, life is my enemy. Life is my enemy. Look, that property sold that I wanted to buy. Life is my enemy. Or they are my enemy. Life is my enemy. They are my enemy. Look at what they are doing to me. They are holding me back. They are blocking my advancement. They, I'm the team leader. They won't get it. I sit in my chair and I'm like, oh, when are they going to get it? I'm saying it and they're not hearing it. It's got to be their fault. And maybe some of you, just depending on what your background is or worldview is, maybe if, you, if you're a part of any kind of religious processing, well, well, the sacred is my enemy. They're out to get me. Maturity is when you just understand, I am my own worst enemy. That's it. Self-sabotage plays into the development of my character, and I want to unearth that. How am I going to unearth it? I'm going to give you like nine archetypes. I'm going to fly through these kind of quick. And we're just going to let some of this stick for whatever sticks. And as I walk through these, you're just going to listen for yourself a little bit. You're going to feel some of yourself in this. You could think about these as the nine archetypes of leaders, nine, arch nine, arch nine archetypes of company founders. We look at this in terms of insecure identities. See, I don't like to talk a lot about just ego because ego gives me an enemy. And we're not fighting the ego. The ego, the insecurity, is our opportunity to grow. So I like talking about it in more terms of what's my insecure identity. And here's what that looks like, and I'm going to start flying through these nine. I came home a couple of months ago. This is before uh, the weather got too cold, so maybe it was like October, November. And I'm coming in the house feeling pretty awesome. Babe, look how good our yard looks. Have you, have you seen how good our yard looks? Have you noticed how much? A couple of neighbors across the street. Have you seen how much they're always in their yards? I mean, they're always in their yards. Their yards have all these little brown spots. They're always fertilizing and watering. And I'm just going to be honest with you here. I, I hire somebody <laughs> to have my lawn look awesome. <laughs> they spend all that time in their yards we have people that come by here for 15 minutes and it looks this good. Now, in case my wife can't notice, let's unveil the composition. Hey, babe, can, can I feel good about my yard? Can you celebrate me? I would like to build my insecure identity around how my lawn looks. I'd like to let my ego feel a little built up here. Hey, hey, babe, can you understand the character arc of me and how I'm becoming? And, and just, she was sitting on the couch missing this, obviously, because she goes, oh, they don't spend that much time in their yard. <clears throat> Nine archetypes real quick that'll help you understand your character arc. One, it's the leader who needs to be needed. They want to feel integral. They want to feel essential. They have a hard time developing systems that don't include them because the way that they answer the insecurity of their identity is to always be counted on. 
And we're not going to beat the ego up because the ego got you here. Being counted on got you here. Developing a company that doesn't need you, that's real leadership growth. A second archetype. It's the, it's the leader who, out of their insecurity, cannot sit with reality, can't sit with darkness, can't sit with pain. They always have to hype to the next adventure. They go away for a weekend. They come into the staff meeting. They got a new book. They're like, guys, this new book, this is how we got to do it. Whoa! And they just run over the team with their enthusiasm and energy. And the only people that get promoted are the people who know how to match that enthusiasm and energy back. Because falsely, this leader looks for a mirror rather than looking for different types of personalities. Another archetype of leader, if you're going to understand character arcs, is the leader who's always looking for belonging. Not just with anyone, but with the teams that they choose. And they just want to know that they fit in, that they've got a space that's theirs, and that if they can keep all conflict at bay, this belonging will always give them everything they want. Now, guys, this is deep existential stuff, and most people do not have conscious awareness that this is the movie playing in their head. If, if they can connect the dots and understand the character arc, they'll go, oh, that's why. But this leader likes to brush things under the carpet because we, we can't rock the boat. Another archetype is the leader that is afraid to make a bad decision. They want to show that they've got what it takes. They're afraid that someone would say they're an imposter, so they obsessively spend an inordinate amount of time trying to get to 95 and 98% certainty. And again, that's the insecurity of their identity. We're not going to beat them up. That's their ego that got them there. But it, won't, it got them here, but it won't get them there. What's going to get them there is to learn to move faster. Some of the archetypes that are in this room, I would guess, might be this one, that your performance equals your worth. So you wake up in the morning, the scoreboard is negative zero, you're only as good as your last win. In fact, when you take a day off, you look back at that day and you go, well, I did read for five minutes, or I got this creative idea. I can, I can count that day as worthy, and I can feel worthy because I moved something forward. This kind of leader tends to burn out their team because they have a ton of capacity within them and they don't understand why everybody doesn't go as hard as they do. Some leaders have the archetype where they're just afraid of the worst happening. And so they're constantly navigating around worst case scenarios. And they begin to be superstitious. If you ask them, hey, how'd your business get to this point? How are you succeeding at this level as a leader? They'll attribute it to things that actually aren't the cause. And worrying got them here, but it won't get them there. And the insecurity of their identity, they feel like the only way they hold space in the world is worry. Worry is what protects them and those they love. Some of the leaders in this room, and we know this from working with lots of leaders because this leader archetype, identity, fear, if you want to understand your character arc, definitely gets promoted. It's the leader that fears if they're vulnerable, they'll be hurt. So they flash up with just a little bit of strength and power to keep everybody at a distance. They've learned how to perfectly triangulate the manifestation of their personal power to keep everybody just an inch below them. So they'll bolster up with tone, they'll bolster up with interpersonal space and presence, just as a way of letting you know they've got a little bit more power. 
Now, because we do this work all the time and I love it and it's so much fun and I can't stop doing it, I can't watch TV shows and not see these character types play out. I can't interact with people. And it's wild because even to see this in my kids and one of these, uh, this particular one is one of my daughters and she'll come up to me and she'll just, if I could use you an example, she'll just punch me on the shoulder. And it's just her way of saying, I wanna be close, you know? And I'll go, I wanna be close too. Of course she loves it when I do that. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, some in this room, if you're gonna understand your character arc, you might have the fear that you're not, you don't possess a unique identity. You don't have a unique way of leading that people would look at you and go, they are such a special leader. And so you're always trying to prove out through being extremely disciplined or beating yourself up for not being very disciplined that you are a special, unique leader. Oftentimes a clue that this is what's at work, if this is your character arc, is that you've always got to have things just right around you. You want your environment just a certain way. And so if you're going to understand the character, it's just looking at these arcs and knowing as a person grows and develops, this movie is constantly going on in their heads. It's causing their behavior to manifest the way that it is. It's why I walk in the house and want to feel amazing about my yard. Because if my yard is amazing, then I'm amazing. And I unveil the, competition, uh, the composition, the dialogue, so I can understand my character arc. And if I can understand my character arc, I can start to peel back and get a sense of what's really going on. Most people have no idea how their behavior reveals what they're afraid of. Look at the way they communicate. Understand the composition. Look at the things that they put out on social media. We all reveal these. We said this last month. You can look at that. Even if you want to understand your own, look at what you communicate and how you communicate. Because here's the wild part. Most leadership is not really leading. What most people call leading is a lot of proving and hiding. Out of what? Their fear. What they're afraid of. When we dive deep into this and understand it and touch it, touch it within, you'll know. Because it'll feel like when you cut your nail too short, you know, you cut it to the quick, we used to say. You cut that nail too short and you're like, ooh, ooh. When you understand the character arc, when you see it, when you see this in the mirror, it's like, ooh, yeah, okay, I feel that. And, and for those of you that want to really understand this, I want to help you get it at an even deeper level. Once you understand the composition or unveil it, then you understand the character. This is what makes the movie really exciting. You unleash the conflict. You unleash the conflict. Now a terrible movie has stupid canned BS dialogue. A terrible movie, there's no character arc. They're just flat characters, they're not changing. A terrible movie also has unnecessary scenes, right? Great edited films move the action forward. There's never a scene that you didn't need. 
poor films have lots of scenes that could have been cut out. They're boring. Great films move it forward. How? They unleash the conflict. What do I mean by unleashing the conflict? Where does conflict come from? Desire. All conflict comes from desire. You want something. What do you want? I'm going to help you understand. The deepest want we have. So before I put this information up here on the, on the board, I need to give it a little caveat because of who it came from. Who it came from was a great philosopher, had a lot to say, uh, drove himself crazy trying to figure out some things that we've figured out, and it's what we're teaching here. No, maybe, I don't know. Uh, his name is Nietzsche. Some of his content was used in uh, Nazism. So some people are like, everything Nietzsche has to say is worthless. Uh, and it was actually possibly his, I think it was his sister that kind of, you know, helped fan the flame on some of that content being used. He actually had something profound to say, and I think it has so much uh, application for us today. He said, look, and he wasn't angry about this. He said, God is dead. God is dead. We think differently about religion now. And I think we're going through this as a society. So he said, as God is dead, there are going to be millions of people that are going to die in a world war because we don't know how to make meaning anymore. And if we're gonna help people make meaning, we need to help take people on a progression of development. And here was the progression of development that he offered. He said, most people never graduate beyond being a camel. What's it mean to be a camel? It means you don't really know what you want. You're living the life that was given to you. You believe what people told you to believe. Your desires are what people told you to desire. You know how many leaders we've sat with that are like, oh my gosh, I'm only doing this because blank. Because my dad would talk all the time about because, because, because. They start to understand their character when they unleash the desire. I can tell you how most people's lives will end as a movie. And Nietzsche said it, most adults never leave this phase. They don't know who they are. They don't know what they want. There was a lady that wrote a book, The Regrets of the Dying. She spent 25 years in hospice. She noticed the top five regrets of the dying. The number one regret was this. I wish I would have lived my life, not the one someone else wanted me to live. That's the confession of the camel. And it's, it's our job as leaders to graduate beyond this so we can lead ourselves first and find the true expression of who we are. Because if we never graduate beyond this, we can't ever take people there. And it's one thing to have a team of people that follow your lead. It's another thing to have a team of people that know who they are. Then he said the next phase is the lion. Even few, few adults make it to this phase. Well, you can think about what a lion does, right? A camel. I don't have desires. I carry what was given me. A lion rejects. I can sit and talk with a leader and listen to them and figure out they're confusing growth with what they reject. And a lot of great art is made here because they're throwing off the shackles of what is oppressing them. 
And here's the cool part. Nietzsche said, even fewer become the child. Even fewer become the child. The child in wonder and awe Would you rather watch a movie through the eyes of a burned out, stuck, exhausted camel or a lion who's starting to awaken? And even better, a child in wonder and awe who says, this is who I am. This is what I believe. This is who I want to be. This is who I'm becoming. Really cool thing here, the, and we don't have time to go into this research, the number one expert on how adults develop and grow, Robert Keegan, he's retired from Harvard, he did the longest study that's ever been done on how adults grow and develop. He found the same pattern. He used different words. I don't even know if he knows about Nietzsche's research. Charles Baudelaire, a French poet, said, genius is the recovery of the childhood at will with the skill of adulthood. I tell my kids that adulthood is awesome. You don't have to be afraid of adulthood. It's when you get to use skills to recover the childhood at will, not childishness, childlikeness. What does that look like for how we lead ourselves on our journey? Well, I'm going to give you one exercise to work on. First, we had the exercise of the antenna or the windshield, then we had the exercise of the antenna. Here's the exercise for this next month. I want you to notice the daydream. Notice the fantasy. Notice where your mind goes to. Because here's what happens. A stifled camel is shutting down the daydream. They're shutting down, can we say it this way? The desire. You need to release the leash that you've put on your conflict. When you unleash the conflict, the movie gets exciting. Oh, the character wants something that they don't have. Now that the character wants something they don't have, let's get to it. And once the character wants something they don't have, this action starts to roll. Now, here's the cool part. This is going to give you laser insight on leading others. There's a movie playing in your head. And if you'll unveil the composition, you can hear it. If you understand the character, you can see it. If you unleash the conflict, you can feel it. But the movie that's playing in your head, guess what? Is not the movie playing in your spouse, partner, or teammate's head. There's a different movie playing in their head. They want something. And leadership is the fun navigation of all that. And our job this next month is to just be the child, to notice the desire to unleash the conflict. And if you want to know when the conflict is getting stifled, and we'll close with this, it's when you form addictions. Addictions are the way that we quiet what we're bothered about. And all vision starts with where you're bothered. That's where you wake up. That's where you start to wonder, what if? This isn't just empty, vacuous fantasizing. Notice the daydream. 
We're going to help you as we journey through this, pick it apart and understand. Thank you guys so much for being dialed in.